0: Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Happy Wednesday. Happy Hump Day. All right, hey. I still have my flag out, so that means I'm still a little cranky and fired up. Uh, but I do have a great show for you today. Uh, I'm going to try to get through today's show without cursing. One, because it's, it's harmony. Bet,
1: bet lunch. Right uh. now you can't.
0: Yes, I can. Uh, yes, I can. Uh, it's Harmony Wednesday. Uh, Pastor Bobby, uh, Pastor Anthony will be with us in the second part of the show. But I'm going to begin today's show where I left off yesterday. And I, I, <laughs> I want to continue the discussion about Simone Biles. And that's why my flag is still out here. I'm still fired up. I'm still going to wrap myself in the flag. And I could care less if it pisses people off and <laughs> Whitlock's so weak and so stupid. He's wrapping himself in the flag. So what? Yesterday I cursed. This time I'm not going to curse. But we've heard from Simone Biles, uh, according to ESPN.com and All Reports, Simone Biles has uh, withdrawn from the all-around competition uh, that starts on Thursday as well. And she's doing this according to ESPN. Listen, gymnastics superstar and defending Olympic champion Simone Biles has withdrawn from Thursday's individual all-around competition at the Tokyo Games to focus on her mental well-being. Uh, how about focusing on your mental well-being before the Olympics? I thought that was the, what the offseason was all about, focusing on your mental well-being and getting prepared for the Olympics. The Olympics is a little short two, three week competition. All of your stuff beforehand is leading up to that. But the USA Gymnastics uh, team issued a statement, USA Gymnastics did, after further medical evaluation, Simone Biles has withdrawn from the final individual and all-around competition at the Tokyo Olympic Games in order to focus on her mental health. We wholeheartedly support Simone's decision and applaud her bravery in prioritizing her well-being. Her courage shows yet again why she is a role model for so many. So it's now bravery to sign up for an event get 10% into the event, quit because all of the mental stress, that's now bravery. The people who fight through their responsibilities and live up to them, well, they're suckers. That seems to be the inference. But there's a bigger picture uh, to be drawn here and a bigger lesson to be learned from all of this. I wrote about it in a column today uh, at TheBlaze.com. Again, today I'm going more unscripted because this issue I I I think can't be scripted. My reaction can't be scripted, but I have written a column, and the column is about where I think all of this is headed and where sports has done a 180-degree pivot. Sports has never been perfect. Nothing in humanity has ever been perfect other than Jesus Christ. But sports was always a leader and was always ahead of the rest of society when it came to promoting racial harmony. Was sports perfect? No. Was it ahead of the rest of society? Absolutely was sports ahead of the civil rights movement. Jackie Robinson, in 1947, he breaks the color barrier in Major League Baseball. But it's not just that. It's what it spawned. It's what it sparked. That's what inspired the civil rights movement. And so sports has always been a leader in promoting racial progress and harmony. It's now going the other direction. And I've got a slogan for all the broadcasters at ESPN, at Fox Sports, all the activist athletes across the country, all the brand builders over social media. Here's a slogan for for that group of people. Make sports racist again. Oh, my goodness. They want sports to go back to the 1920s, the 1900s. They wanted to go all the way back to when, again, you got to be somewhat of a sports historian, but Jack Johnson, when he was the first black heavyweight champion, he had a historic battle. They called it the fight of the century with uh, Jim Jeffries, the white, a white former champion. They basically brought Jim Jeffries out of retirement to take the title back from Jack Johnson. And everybody in America lined up on that issue across racial lines. Black people rooted for Jack Johnson, white people rooted for Jim Jeffries. That seems to be where all the athletes, where all the uh, broadcasters, where the the sports media intelligentsia, they want us to go back to those days, that everything is color-coded, that we put no thought into anything other than, oh my God, Let's choose sides. Let's pick sides based on race. That's where we're headed. Has sports ever been perfect? No. Has sports, like the rest of society, been bothered, been uh, negatively impacted, been influenced by racism? Absolutely. Unfairness is a part of life, and it but sports has always been ahead of the rest of society as it relates to race. That's why in the NFL, the top four five, six players happen to all be black quarterbacks. And that's why the NFL, you know, oh my God, uh, the NFL's is racist, but it's, it's never had more black quarterbacks, star black quarterbacks than it does right now. It's ahead of the rest of society. They're trying to drag sports back to the rest of us. They're trying to make sports racist again. They want it be like it was before Jackie Robinson integrated Major League Baseball. And now, <laughs> and this is where I really got into this today, just trying to explain what has happened. Everybody that sees the world through a racial lens, is choosing a side on this Simone Biles situation based on race rather than the facts. Simone Biles quit. Everybody knows in sports, you don't quit. Remember when Vontae Davis, the Indianapolis Colts defensive back, he got to halftime of an NFL regular season game and retired. That was just a couple years ago. We ridiculed him. They laughed him out of the NFL. You don't quit in the middle of a game, in the middle of an event and not get criticized. But because Simone Biles lives in this little protected space we've created for black people and black athletes, oh my God, everybody's in fear. If I criticize Simone Biles, I'm insensitive. If I criticize Simone Biles, I'm racist or I'm a sellout. And so there's all this dishonest conversation going on about Simone Biles. All of the well-intentioned, uh, right-side-of-history bigots are all pulling their breast out trying to give Simone Biles some milk because she's a little baby seal. She's this grown 24 year old woman who's worth a ton of money, who's been celebrated for the last five, six years as the greatest gymnast of all time. She can't survive without us all bending over backwards and feeding her breast milk. And okay, it's okay, Simone, and your mental health, and you have to protect your well being. It's all BS. And everybody knows it. And the only reason why people are defending this crap is because she's black. And then there are the rest of us who are like, hey, man, my sport, there are codes of conduct. There are principles that we try to follow in sports. I've seen people, someone tweeted like, Michael Jordan retired on the Bulls, uh, you know, in his 20s or early 30s and went and played baseball. He quit? No, he didn't. He changed sports in the middle of his career, in the offseason. It wasn't in the middle of a Bulls playoff run. It wasn't in game three of the NBA finals. Oh, I'm out of here, guys. Mid-game. Guys, I can't go on. He didn't do what Scottie Pippen did. He didn't take there was a re- game off. Yeah, there was a reason why we ridiculed Scottie Pippen when, when Phil Jackson c- drew up the last play for Tony Kukoc and and Scottie Pippen refused to go in the game. That's not what Jordan did. There's a difference between, hey, the offseason, you know what? Because that's what Simone Biles should have done. During the offseason, she should have announced, you know what? I'm mentally stressed out. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not going to the Olympics. I'm going to clear space on the roster for someone else to have the opportunity of a lifetime that I enjoyed five years ago and vaulted me to fame and fortune, I'm gonna create the space for somebody else to do it. Instead, she selfishly has taken up a spot on the Olympic team, and she's not willing to live up to her responsibilities. That's all that's happened here. This whole protection of my mental health, do that at home. You don't gotta fly to Japan to protect your mental health. You can do that at home. With mom and daddy, you can suck on their breasts rather than all these people in the media and all these people over Twitter and all these former athletes all siding up with you simply because of your skin color because they know damn well if they were white, they would be calling you out. This has been the tradition. This is a choke job. When people choke in sports, they get called out. When Tony Romo dropped the field goal snap in a 2007 playoff game, nobody was, oh, my God, his mental health. Oh, I wonder if he's in the right headspace to be catching an extra point snap. We lit Tony Romo up. I'm not even saying it's the right thing to do but that's what we did because that's what we do in sports. When our great athletes fail, we hold them accountable. When Bill Buckner blew, allegedly, the 1986 World Series, when a ball slipped through his legs, did we make a bunch of excuses? Were we worried about his mental health? When Chris Webber called a timeout in the NCAA title game, this is a black athlete, when he called a timeout, he he can't live it down now.
1: Tom Brady just did it last year, thinking it was a fourth day. Well, I don't remember that, but <laughs> Tom Brady just did it last year, thinking he was on four, had four days.
0: Look, I'm this Olympics, and I said this yesterday, but man, I slept on this last night. The entire thing, we've turned it into the racial victimhood Olympics, and it's starring Simone Biles. Shikari Richardson, uh, Gwen Berry, and Naomi Osaka. Black girl tragic. That's what this whole Olympics is about. The failure and the excuse-making, the failures of these female black athletes, and the level of excuse-making we keep going to, to to try to cover up their irresponsibility and failure. How much more irresponsible could you be than Shikari Richardson? Qualify for the Olympic team know you got to take a drug test a, a, a drug test is one of the easiest things to beat and particularly when it's just marijuana she couldn't even do that and then rolls out the excuse. Oh my biological mother died and I just heard the news And so I had to smoke weed and again just like I said at the time There's a reason why they keep putting that biological in the description Because when I talk about my mama, I don't say my biological mama. I say my mama because my mama raised mama. me. Because my mama didn't fold or quit when the stress got too hot. She's not my biological mama, she's my mama. So what I'm saying, this ain't even Shikari Richardson's mama, or they wouldn't be putting that biological in the description. And this whole thing, all, well, of course she had to smoke weed. Of course she turned to drugs. There was nothing else she could do. What was she to do? And then they, uh the Gwen Berry. Mm-hmm. Everybody know damn well she ain't gonna do a damn thing at the Olympics, so she makes a fool of herself and a spectacle of herself. Attention at the oh, uh, Well, I didn't make it. Anyway, att- reaching for attention at the Olympic trials. Puts pulls a, uh, they set me up. Pulls a T-shirt over her head and 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 all that. They set me up playing the national anthem. Blah blah. And everybody making excuses for her acting like this is okay. These women have been radicalized and they're out of control. It's not just them. It's all of us that have been radicalized by social media and are out of control. And they're all the message is, oh my God, being black is so hard and so stressful. You can't expect great things from them. You can't hold them responsible for doing what they're supposed to do. Don't you know, they're baby seals. They can't be held accountable. We must stuff their mouths with our breasts and pour white and chocolate nourishing milk down their throats. That's all they can handle. These are helpless people. Are you good with that? I'm not. I'm not helpless. I'm not a baby seal. Neither is Simone Biles. The only reason why she's acting like one is because we have allowed it. When we had standards and there were consequences for bad behavior and for irresponsibility, People acted more responsible. But now that we've given everybody the excuse, just play the mental health card. You're stressed. You don't have your weed. You don't have your anxiety medicine. You can't, uh, the stress is just too hard. Everybody goes to that card. You You give a kid a rope, he's gonna wanna be a cowboy. You, you give people an inch, they're gonna take a mile. And that's what we've done. We, we will excuse anything and, and, and the number one, get, you, how did we go from John Kennedy standing before the world in a celebrated inauguration speech saying, ask not what, you, what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, to this mentality we have now. Do whatever the hell you want. Screw your country. If you want to make the Olympic teams because Nike and everybody's pouring money into you, and this is good for your brand and endorsements and value, and you can make as much money as you want, even though you really don't want to be there, because that is what Simone Biles is screaming. If she has a mental health problem, it's because she's tired of being an Olympic athlete and she should have quit during the off season. Maybe the one year delay of this Olympics was one year too many. Maybe she had it made up in her mind this will all be over in 2020. And then COVID happened, and now it's like that extra year. And maybe it's just a a bridge too far, I don't know. But she had plenty of time and opportunity to bail on these Olympics. she got If she wasn't all into it, she had a year, an extra year to say, you know what, I don't want to do I don't want to go to Tokyo, and I damn sure don't want to go in July when it's 130 degrees over there. Do that. That would have been brave. Bailing on your teammates? Claiming, oh God, this is so stressful. I can't take it. Nothing brave about this. And and, and I'm going to go back to what I said yesterday. Jackie Robinson, he opened the doors for Simone Biles and all of these athletes, particularly black ones, to make all kinds of money, have fame and fortune, notoriety, improve things for their family. You think he wasn't under some stress? Oh, Oh, God, the mental stress is too tough. I can't take this Major League Baseball stuff. They don't like me. Thank God he didn't have that mindset. Thank God Hank Aaron didn't have that mindset. You think he wasn't under some some threats? Some stress? When he chased down Babe Ruth and hit home run number 715? Have you read the stories? Do you know what? not know what kind of pressure he was under? Did he fold? Did he quit? Absolutely not. And now we're. You can't be great. This country can't be great. Under this new standard of behavior. We're setting up in this society. One, the standard is choose sides. Totally based on race. And two, oh, the going gets tough. The tough quit. That's brave. It's tough. I quit. Somebody. There's a hell of a documentary on Amazon Prime. I think it's called America, This Is Us. It walks you through all the incredible things Americans, black and white, Chinese, Latino, black, brown, yellow, white, what we all did to make this country great. The the Chinese people that helped blow up and dig holes through mountains so we could have highways and bridges and uh, roads and 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 uh, dams run water through. I mean, it's just incredible what people did to make this country great. The workers that built that built skyscrapers and fell to their death. Many of them, the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, all these incredible sacrifices people made and didn't fold, oh, stress. We did incredible things in this country and now the very people enjoying the benefits of those struggles wanna throw it all away. And, and we want to popularize this or, or celebrate what Simone Biles has done as some sort of brave act that should be applauded and other kids need to know that, oh God, if you signed up for a team and it gets stressful, quit. This is a joke. Uncle Jimmy. What's up, bro? You got anything before we... Greg Couch has written a very irritating column. Uh, and we're going to go out to Chicago and talk to him here in a second. You got anything before I bring... He's, he's written a column basically defending Simone Biles. I can't wait to talk to him about it. But you got anything you... you yeah, look,
1: if I may, just yeah. real quick. This, uh, I'll make a, can I make a football analogy yes. uh, regarding Simone Biles? Yeah. Uh, and, and even going through what you said, that we had a we had a, a delay, a one year delay. We had a one year delay and Simone Biles showed up a preseason, meaning the Olympics, and said, I need to have season ending surgery. She showed up a preseason, talking about I need to be off for season ending surgery. You had two years to get the surgery to get well. But now here we ready for the season. At first it's the first game of the
0: season, I gotta go get season ending surgery. Well, she's basically saying she, she's just not mentally right for the Olympics. And, and the argument is she had an extra year to get right, but actually the extra, the extra year may have contributed to her mental stress. Again, if you set up a target like an end date, it, it's, it's almost, it, it's like a job that you've lined up a better job and you're a short time employee. And so when you get that two-week notice, well, I'm getting out of here. I'm getting this big raise. I'm moving to a new city. And then they say, ah, you know what? You can't come for six more months. That's deflating. I get it. That's deflating. And so I think she thought the 2020 Olympics would be her final Olympics. And at age 23, she was ready to move on to something else. Then COVID happened. And, and if she were the only one dealing with COVID delays, I get it. There's been a lot of people who have delayed weddings, uh, who have delayed all kinds of life-changing moments because of COVID, who had things planned uh, before COVID, who haven't been able to execute. We've all been dealing with COVID-related stress. The issue here is she had a bunch of teammates, And a country depending on her. She, she, television networks. And look, look, she was the face of these Olympics, the star of these Olympics. And if I have, if I have any sympathy for her, she is one of these childhood actors and childhood stars who crack up. Who can't deal with the fame and these gymnasts and whatever they they their teen they become teenage stars she won her first gold i think gold medals at age 18 19 years old they're teenage stars they live in this spotlight and the spotlight becomes too much and they crack up that's what's happening this is dana plato this is who willis from uh I, willis from what was the show different strokes was, was different, that him yeah. and, let me ask yeah. you a question just real quick.
1: Simone Biles, what if her name, what if Simone Biles' name was Nancy Kerrigan? And what if right before this event, somebody came up and busted her in the knee? Right before this event. Hey, bust, what, what she, ah, I got hit in the knee. I'm going to quit for the whole You You do realize Nancy Kerrigan still came back and skated.
0: I'm just, yeah. No, th- that's a total fact. And in this era, in this new society we've created and new culture we've created, Nancy Kerrigan would now quit and say, the, what Tanya Harding did to me is too Late, stressful, uh, too stressful, and I have to bow out of the Olympics. I'm going to sue everybody for a gold medal, even though I'm not competing, and I want all my endorsement dollars and everybody, we, oh, that's very brave of you, Nancy, to quit instead the woman fought through it and and this is a societal a cultural issue we have here in america we have set up particularly for us as black people no accountability no responsibility no expectations any do what thou wilt we will explain it all we will justify it all by your skin color that's a recipe for death and destruction and a lack of success. At some point, we as black people have to be smart enough, savvy enough to say, hey man, this is not good for us. Instead of us jumping on the bandwagon, and I'm seeing all kinds, I like Damian Woody. I like Lewis Riddick. I'm seeing these guys tweet out, these are former athletes who shot up to get on the football field. And then looking at Simone Biles, oh God, I, I get it, mental health. You know, this is not what athletes do. They soldier on. It's, they do what America used to do. America used to be a country of people with big balls, men and women, willing to do whatever it took to be successful. And I get, everybody now wants to call BS on and say it was a mistake. But but everybody wants to enjoy the benefits. Everybody wants that stimulus check. Everybody wants to be pampered and coddled in the greatest country on the planet. But nobody wants this new generation and all these simps and simpletons want to just reduce all those standards that made us great and we just now accept anything.
1: Demasculization of a U.S. nation.
0: (laughs) All right. I want to talk to you about our great sponsor, Good Ranchers. These guys never quit. Never quit. They're all American. Everything's born and produced right here in America. Jim, yesterday, and I, yesterday we started a fire, a big one on social media. I was hot. You see, I had to get the flag out to remind everybody. You know what that fire was good for yesterday? Cooking meat. I saw I saw <laughs> Cooking meat. I went home. And had and cooked me a hell of a steak from Good Ranchers. Again, I'm trying to only eat one meal a day, and and Good Ranchers hooked me up yesterday. I had, I had the but, bourbon
1: chicken yesterday.
0: Oh, you did. Yeah. Oh, good for you. (laughs) These guys have the best food on the planet. It's all American made. The steaks are fire. I can't wait to try the pork and seafood that they have sent us as well. Check out the Family Feast Bundle, which is filled with plenty of steak and chicken for the whole family. If you subscribe, you will get $20 off and free express shipping. Get with Good Ranchers today and support American farmers. Go to GoodRanchers.com Fearless to get $20 off and free express shipping. That's GoodRanchers.com Fearless. Welcome back. Let's roll out to Chicago and bring in Greg Couch, Fearless contributor and sports columnist. He's covered five Olympics. He's got a different take on this Simone Biles situation than I do. Greg, I want to warn you off top, you know, I got a low tolerance for any of this Simone Biles sympathy, but I've read your column, you think (laughs) that, uh, let let, let me go with the headline here, it's okay to be angry at and supportive of Simone Biles, Uh, please help me understand how you can both be angry and supportive of her quitting.
2: Well, I'm not supportive of her quitting. Look, we're developing an entire generation of kids who don't understand the concept at all of other people, okay? So when she walks off on the team and doesn't consider the lives or the feelings or that the existence of her teammates, I'm not supportive of that at all. Where I come in differently than you is, I do accept the idea that there are issues of mental health that matter. We've seen Kevin Love and Michael Phelps, uh, Naomi Osaka. I mean, there's something going on out there where a lot of young athletes are stepping up and saying things, and I understand you're talking about athletes from the past and how they had it rougher, certainly Jesse Owens did and, and you know Jackie Robinson, but you know, I talked to Jack Nicklaus years and years ago and he said he didn't, start, didn't decide to be a golfer until toward the end of high school. And one time I was on an elevator with Michael Jordan and some little kid comes on and Jordan just says, Hey, uh, you play basketball? Are you any good? And the kid says, No, but I wish I were. And Jordan says, How old are you? And he says, 10. And Jordan says, Oh, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't any good at 10 yet either. So things are different. We raise kids from four years old to be professional athletes. And the pressure is on these kids when they're four years old, five years old, six years old, Tiger Woods, you know, and Simone Biles, surely too. I don't know her situation exactly. But then we raise them and, and, you know, there's nothing wrong. There's not one negative word about these kids, okay? I coach little kids in tennis and I'll tell them, you're doing this wrong. And they stare at me like they've never heard those words once in their lives. So there is a extensive pressure and they don't understand you know, accountability. They don't understand that something about them might not be perfect. And meanwhile, these kids are growing up in a social media world. So their friends friends are people they never even meet. They befriend people on Instagram or they get likes from people they don't know or barely know. And so they grow up in a bubble and they have no empathy. They don't really connect with human beings. And so, Jason, I think that this is understandable why Simone Biles would not understand that other people are involved. And I don't accept that as reason for her to walk off on her team, but I do understand that she would feel that way.
0: Greg, you made a better argument than I anticipated. I will say that because you, you, the whole thing of the pressure on kids at four, five, and six years old. Greg, I'll never forget. I was a uh, radio talk show host in Kansas City along with a columnist, and I had this popular morning radio show. And I can remember a dad, or maybe it was the mom. I can't. It was either a dad or a mom that kept calling me in, talking about. Their four or five-year-old son was the next Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. and they kept calling every show, my show, the shows later in the afternoon, and and I, I was the only one with with the balls at that time to like ridicule and say, "Hey, man, you got to cut this out. This kid's four or five years old. He's, he. There's no way you know if he's Michael Jordan. You know how many people I knew that were great fifth and sixth graders athletes who never who couldn't even make the high school varsity teams." and and i just like wow the pr- because of the money in sports parents are investing in their kids in sports in a different way and 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 so there is i wouldn't say there's more pressure but there's a different kind of pressure now on kids that perhaps i'm underestimating but at at the end of the day greg i'm sorry you cannot quit not you 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 She could have quit during the offseason. She she had an extra year where where the Olympics were supposed to be in 2020. They didn't happen until 2021. There was all kinds of opportunities because that's what I think we're seeing is someone who regrets being involved in this Olympics at all. She had it made up in her mind that this was going to end in 2020, her involvement in sports. And this extra year has just been too much for her.
2: I mean that could be true all right look as you know i'm a coach of a college team i tell my team word for word i say this every year the purpose of a team is to support the team that's just that's it that's the simplicity of it and she's not there for that she was there for some other reason i don't know what it was she was already the best in the world she was already perfect and the pressure was on her to be more perfect this year and i think that just built up to 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 be too much for her but the thing is you know we're seeing a lot of this the, you know, mental health problems with young athletes, like I said, and I think someone needs to be training these kids along the way, not just h- how to f- do a f- double backflip on a four inch beam. They also need to train them how to handle the pressure when it's facing them. It was inevitable that Simone Biles was at once. She's already the greatest of all time. When she's a little kid, it's inevitable that she's going to be facing this massive pressure moment. And she didn't have anything to to anything to back uh, herself up on. She didn't have anything to rely on. No tools, nothing had been taught her. So, Jason, yeah, I agree with you. There's no excuse for walking off on the team, but I can understand why she would be so self-absorbed that she wouldn't even acknowledge that there is a team or even give any thought to their feelings whatsoever because that's what she's been trained to do.
0: You wrote a piece on Blaze.com. I read it. You talked to some Dr. Joel Fish. Can Mm -hmm. you convey what he's a psychiatrist, psychologist, sports psychologist, can you convey what he conveyed to you? What his thoughts were on Simone Biles?
2: Well, you know, he was—he had—he had a sort of a psychologist hat on. He didn't want to tell me I should be mad at her, or we should be mad at her, or we should be sympathetic to her. He just thought we could be both of them, which is kind of what I wrote. But you know, he—he—he he, he feels that this is what he does for a living now. You know, he's—he's he's been a psychologist to a lot of you know Philadelphia professional teams and a lot of athletes around the country. And he told me that last week, uh, someone told him that I can do, one athlete told him, I can do 99 things right. The minute I do one thing wrong, it's on social media and the whole world knows about it. And so Dr. Fish, you know, is is working with those athletes, but I think also his idea is to work, he's written books about being a uh, you know a parent of these athletes, and he's working a lot with the idea of how to develop tools for these kids to, to, to cope when, they, when they're facing with, this, with the stress that, you know, that they're inevitably gonna face.
0: Last question, and, and we can go back and forth if you want, but part of my takeaway on Simone Biles and just everything I'm seeing from athletes, not just at the Olympics, but just everything I'm seeing from athletes, they're addicted to social media, they're addicted to groupthink, uh, they're just not what they used to be. And so one of the things we're going to have to do in this society is take athletes off a pedestal of there's some sort of role model to be aspired to or to follow, that they set the example, that they represent uh, the American ethic of working hard and great success and discipline. and and you know, sacrifice for the greater good of the team. They just don't represent any of that anymore. It's all about money. It's all about brand building. It's all about endorsements. And, and so I just think, I just don't put athletes. Magic Johnson was my favorite athlete as a kid. I, I idolized the guy. Tiger Woods as an adult, my favorite athlete, and Tiger Woods probably my all-time favorite athlete. Uh, But Tiger, disappointing, you know, in some ways. Magic Johnson in his post-playing career, disappointment to me, uh, you know, didn't like him quitting on the Lakers or whatever as, as the team president, you know, horrible talk show host. Anyway, my point is let's quit looking at athletes as if they're special and set some sort of example for the rest of us. They just don't.
2: I think that's a great point, and I will tell you that when I was a kid, some of my heroes in sports, you know, Bjorn Borg, you know, tennis players. These guys, you, I didn't look to them as my heroes for how to behave in my life away from the tennis court or away from the baseball field or whatever. I I just looked at them as heroes, sports heroes, not human human heroes. You know, and I do worry about what you're just saying about with Simone Biles. I mean, what message is she now sending to all the? to all the kids out there. She's the hero of all gymnastics girls in the country. And what's the message? Think of yourself. I mean, it's important if you're gonna have mental health issues, if you have mental health issues, to think of yourself and address them. But think of yourself, but at the right time, not at the time when you're gonna walk away from your team who you're there, Vowed to support and to be with. So I'm I'm very worried about and uh, uh, you know the message. I don't know what these girls are around the country are learning right now from Simone Biles. I wish it were just like you just said. Don't don't look at her as the human being that you need to support. Look at her as a gymnast you need to support and support her if she, in her mental health struggles. Uh, you know again I'm sympathetic to her, but I'm also somewhat angry that she's going to send that message out to, to. It's okay to walk away from your team.
0: Greg, thank you. Good job. This went better than I expected. I thought I was gonna have to beat you up, but Jimmy, I actually think. Uh, Greg, six four, man. Greg got them hands, man. Come on. Man. <laughs> I, I thought I was gonna have to beat beat him up. He actually did a good job.
1: Greg made a very interesting point, which was. Greg said that a lot of these young kids are suffering from burnout. Greg said, really. Uh, Maybe it's not these kids' fault, maybe it's the parents' fault. We're sitting up here saying that these kids aren't built like this. No, they're not
0: We're telling you they're not built from they they, they, they they can't take this pressure. We're doing the building and they're not built very well. I think that's that's your point. It's on the adults we're building defective models
1: well, let me kind I throw one more out there yeah. Just one more and and we, we um Simone Biles, uh, Colin Kaepernick, LeBron James, you know, we, we talked about they let down their country, right? They let down their country. Jason, since, since when did they display that they ever had their country's best interest at heart in the first place? When when has when any of those guys ever said that, that flag was first?
0: We just assumed it, Jim. You put that uniform on. Alright, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Subscribe. Support this show. All right, coming up, we're gonna get into some harmony. I'm gonna calm down and pipe down, and we're gonna bring two ministers onto the show. We're gonna talk about little Nas X, rap music. Brother Bobby. We're gonna, here. Yeah, we're gonna Brother Bobby's here. We're gonna uh talk about the conversation we started last week and continued this week with Delano about popular culture and rap music and its impact on the community. And we might ask him even an opinion early on about Simone Biles, don't go anywhere. Welcome back time now for some Tennessee Harmony, my favorite time of the week. It's Wednesday. That means Pastor Bobby Harrington of Harpeth Christian Church is here. And we're joined now by a man we hope will be a regular pastor, Anthony Walker of Highway 231 South Church of Christ in Murfreesboro. Guys, thanks for uh, joining me today. Uh, We've been having a conversation the past week and a half about rap music and the influence of rap music. And then earlier this week, yesterday and the day before, we talked about Lil Nas X and his latest controversial, highly sexual video. And I wanted to get a biblical perspective on all of this. And and we'll start here. (laughs) And Let me start first. I almost forgot. Bobby and Anthony, if you could bless us with a short prayer, blessing this conversation and mentioning my guy, Steven Crowder, who's having some health issues. I'd appreciate you
3: it. You got it. Yeah. So, uh, God, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we pray for Stephen Crowder and we pray that you'd be present to
4: really help us all see your way. Father, again, just, we pray, giving you glory and honor and thanks blessing this conversation, this discussion, and we pray that it is according to your will and your way. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you. Perfect. Almost forgot that. I'm glad I didn't. Anyway, now bless us with some biblical understanding of how we should all handle the influence, and I believe the negative influence, of rap music and popular culture. A lot of satanic immoral messaging in rap music. It's been with us for a long time and I don't think its influence is even more pronounced today. And I'm just wondering how we should be advising parents and young people, how do we combat this influence? Yeah, I'm gonna
3: actually draw in Anthony here because he has little children, not little, they're eight and uh, six years of age and he's on the precipice of this. Let me just say, Jason, though, I, I think your instincts are right in that what's happening with Nazax is not something like what happened 10, 20 years ago. And let me, let me just say, uh, in my years in ministry, the biggest mistake most parents make is they treat their children like the world is today the way the world was when they were growing up. And uh, I'm just here to say that uh, there's always been stuff that, going back to Elvis, that parents didn't like. But this is a whole different category. When you're looking at these videos from Little Nas X and uh, Cardi B and uh, Megan The Stallion, th- this, this is a whole new level. Uh, so, but uh, Anthony, I'm going to
4: let you jump in here first. Talk to us about what uh, your parents did with you and what you're doing. You know, it's all about boundaries. Uh, My parents, they made sure that what I watched uh, on TV, I only had a couple of channels to watch. They guarded what I watched. Uh, As we talked a little while ago, we only had one television. Uh, My mom or grandmother, if they turned it off, nobody else turned it on. So they took a guard on what we received. And the same thing has to happen uh, with parents now. As Bobby said, there's always been polarizing sexual and uh, music and things out, uh, but now it's so socially accepted that parents have to be on guard. But when you start that early, when you start it young, it helps your children to even learn to discern. Hey, this is not what we live. This is not what we listen to. This is not what we do. And even now, my kids sometimes we'll be watching a basketball game and a commercial will come on, and it's just a commercial but they're able to see, wait, mom, dad, this is not, they may close their ears, they may close their eyes because they know this is not what we allow them to watch. So it's about boundaries uh, and guarding what they watch. And, And I hear you on
0: boundaries, but I think as Bobby just alluded to, this is something I've been talking about for many years in terms of the difference from when I grew up. I'm 54 years old. When I grew up, there was a record player, a single one in the home. There was a TV and maybe a second TV if your house was big enough. And so what that did when there was just the record player, that meant when it got played, everybody in the house could hear it and the mom and daddy wanted to object, they wanted to object to what you were watching on TV. They could hear it. There's only one TV. They, <laughs> now nah, change the channel, or we're not watching that, or go to bed. Well, now we live in this environment where everybody has a cell phone, everybody has a laptop, everybody has their own private TV in their uh, room, and now, not to single him out, but we'll just use Snoop Dogg as the example, he can go one-on-one with your child, for hours, mm-hmm. you can turn. You can put headphones on, be in your bedroom. Mom and daddy have no idea what you're listening to, and Snoop is explaining his life philosophy, his ways, what he does for entertainment and for fun to your kids one on one. That just wasn't the case. Parents' voices have been diminished, yeah. and popular popular icons and celebrities' voices have been elevated. Yeah. I think this puts parents in a really difficult spot. How do you combat that? And it's even
3: compounded if if we can, like I think it's, you know, one of the uh, sayings that I like is the first responsibility of leadership is to define reality. So if we're going to talk about doing something about it, let's start with a discussion on reality. And the reality is, Jason, parents are not engaged with their kids like they were when you were growing up. Now I know you can always find Uh, examples of people not as engaged and all of that in the past. But if you look at what's happening now compared to 20, 30 years ago, the number of parents who are basically mailing it in, I mean, they're not even having meals with regular meals with their kids. And mom and dad are both working, working a lot of hours. And a lot of times uh, the iPad or the iPhone is the thing that is distracting their kids because the parents aren't available. So I just want to I want to start by let's uh, come face to face with the reality that you're talking about. And we've got to get parents more engaged.
0: Anthony, I want you to follow up on that, because before the show started, we were talking about engagement may just start with dinner Mm -hmm. at a dinner table Mm -hmm. and a conversation so that you can even explain to your kids. Hey, I know you're hearing X, Y and Z in the music. But here's how we think about this, and here's how if you embrace those values being preached in, in music, these will be the consequences. You're not going to land on your feet the way Snoop Dogg has on a pile of money. Mm-hmm. For every Snoop Dogg, there's probably a thousand guys in prison or in a grave. Mm-hmm. i, I The dinner table may be the best solution.
4: Absolutely. You know, biblically speaking, the culture that we read about in the Bible was settled around the dinner table. Family sat, but at the dinner table, there were those discussions about life, about what took place. There's discussions. What you just said is a dinner table discussion with family, but what is also happening is your voice is becoming the prominent one in that child's life, when they see dad, mom, dealing with life situations at the dinner table, because mom and daddy are gonna be talking, kids are learning, this is what we do and how we deal with situations. When dad is, how was school today, son? How was this today? What did you learn today? And you begin to pick up on, and so that dynamic helps your voice to be involved, even things like reading to your kids. It's work, and you think about, as Bobby mentioned, with all the things that are pulling at us, jobs and, and as you, you know, allude to technology, we still make sure every night we're reading to our kids. We're praying to our kids. We wake up in the morning. We're talking to our kids. So my voice is going to be more prominent. I can't stop the society from turning up the volume on Snoop Dogg. But I can turn up the volume in my house of my voice, and I can turn him off. You know, I've got that authority uh, in their life to where, hey, you know what? We're not going to watch TV tonight. Let's read a book. And they'll get upset. They'll get whatnot. But then afterward, I'll find my kid. We just went on a family vacation. I'll find my son in the car reading a book and not watching the iPad. So we still have that. But as Bobby's talking about, we have to make sure... That we're active. The first
3: thing that you've got to do, uh, that the Christian leaders have got to do, is get parents engaged with their kids. Like that's job one. Uh, we call it investing uh, relationally in your kids. And as a parent, all of your influence <clears throat> is going to be channeled through a good relationship where you're regularly engaged with them. And then once you've got that relationship, then that's where you put up boundaries around the things you're talking about. But you don't just put up boundaries, you also help them to see a better way. Um, Jason, I don't know if you want to get into this now, but there's a key passage in the Bible. It's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema by uh, Jewish people. And it's uh, this section of the Bible where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then these commandments, God's commandments, teach them to your children. And here's how it says, Talk about these the commandments of God. Talk about them when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie God's commands as symbols on your arms, on your foreheads, on the door frames of your houses. So you're talking about parents engaged relationally with their kids, and they're constantly showing them not the way of Snoop Dogg, not the way of Nas, uh, little Nas X, but the way of Jesus. And it's what we have a description for it. It's intentional, relational discipleship.
0: That's it. Let me ask this as a follow up, and then I'm going to transition a little to a little thing that I'm fascinated by. Uh, But the church as a whole, in the 50s and 60s, we saw the church coalesce around civil rights and the civil rights movement. And I'm wondering why or if, there could ever be any movement around a civil behavior movement, <laughs> because we've lost civility. We, we've let, they've, they've turned uh, men, and particularly black men, in suit and ties and demanding respect. They've demonized that, and they call it respectability politics, and this is a negative thing. And, I, and I'm trying to, how does presenting yourself with respect and demanding respect, how can that be considered a negative? And it's almost like we need a counter movement led by the church. And so I, about pop culture is attacking our young people and we need to fight back. Is, is there any, you guys are part of organizations and groups, or is there any conversation about a more organized pushback Against this culture, Um,
3: yes, and I want to get to that. But let me just tell you the the tension that's faced. What you're describing is the ideal that the church would push back and win over the culture, where you'd literally change the culture. The problem with that, Jason, is uh, in history, unless God's the one really doing something special, and it usually comes on the tail end of a collapse of some kind. Unless God does something like that, the idea to get the whole culture changed is a pretty high goal. The earliest Christians and Christians throughout history tend to look at the world when it gets the way it does right now. And they they just want to stay away from the world. They want to get out of the world and uh, isolate from the world. The early church fathers would do that. They'd go off into the desert and places like that. And uh, throughout history, we have people like you and I talked about the Amish or the Mennonites. They would withdraw from culture because they get to the point where they say, it's so bad, unless God does something, we're not going to redeem it. And so they pull out of it. Now, I don't think we're at the point where we need to pull out of it. And I think that even Jesus would challenge that concept that you pull all the way out. But I think the first thing the church has to do is we've got to take care of business within the church. Because the church can't tell the world a lot of things right now if the church is just like the world. So we got to go back and say, how can the people of Jesus really function like the people of Jesus? Um, So let me pause there.
0: Anthony, you have anything to add?
4: There's a a scripture uh, that I wanted to refer to that kind of hits that. It's Genesis chapter 3. This is when, after Adam and Eve had sinned. The first two recorded questions of all of history. Question number one, God asked, Adam, where are you? And so that is even within our society. Men, where are we? Husbands, fathers, where are we? But the second question is even more important because after Adam responded, Adam says, well, you know, we hid because we were naked. The second question, God says, who told you you were naked? And God wants to be the primary source of our information. I want to be as God. I want to be the one that defines who you are. I want to be the one that gives you your purpose. I want to be the one that gives you your mission. God has to make that design. What culture has done is we've fallen back and let culture decide who you are what your purpose is and what your mission is. So the church, you're asking how the church can combat this. We've got to be the example and the model to say we get our information from God. We get our guidance, our leadership, our purpose, our mission from God and not society. So at times that's going to be countercultural. It's going to look different, but it's not antagonistic. We're not trying to demonize necessarily individuals because we want to save souls, but we're given, as Bobby said, an alternate route. You don't have to go that route of society to be who God has designed you to be. Let us show you how God has done, but we have to start, as he said, being those good models ourselves of what he's told us to do. got to start say, in our homes.
0: Anthony, I want to ask you a follow-up because you, sure. you've, you've nailed something that I would love to talk about. Sure taking our identity from Christ, yes. from God. Yes. As black people, what are we, what are you, what are ministers, what should we be saying to those of us that have taken our identity totally in race? Our skin color is our identity.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's very blinding, distracting, and will take you off course if you take your identity in Christ Uh, Am I wrong for thinking that we've created a race religion rather than a Christ religion?
4: Sometimes we do overemphasize being black, but at the same time, my being black and Bobby being white or whatnot. That's how I came into the world. And that that has some cultural and historical implications. There were times in our nation, you know, where people looked at me, not through the eyes of Christ, but they looked at me and judged me just because of my skin. So there's a dynamic that goes on mentally with that. We are all making the transition, not just from race, not just from gender, but from all of our background to Christ. I mean, we all had an identity before we came to Jesus. So that's not just race. Yes, for some of us, we do limit it to just race. Some limit it just to gender. And now in society, you know, there's all of the, hey, we've got an envelope for everybody, right? Sexuality now is an identity. It is. But we're all moving towards that because there can be an overemphasis in that that takes you away from what God has designed you to be. I'm still a black man, okay? But I am what Christ called me to be in him which supersedes all the other little check marks that you want to make on me. But I do exist in a society as well that still recognizes, hey, this is who he is. I don't live down to or up to. I'm living to be what God has called me to be.
0: Bobby, let me and I we can't. I just want to scratch an itch that I have. We can't spend a lot of time on it. But the Amish. Yeah. Literally, I've looked at them, particularly in the last couple of years, and and like, do they have it right? Yeah. <laughs> Am I doing the wrong thing? This world is so crazy. It's like maybe I need a horse and buggy, and I need to go create yeah. my own little world, free of all this technology yeah. and influences. Help me! And only thing I really know about the Amish is what I, I see them driving yeah. horse and buggies, and but. Do the Amish have it right? Well, the Amish have it partly right. <laughs> I mean, let me explain what I mean by that.
3: So uh, I mentioned this to you earlier. There's always been people who are devout followers of Jesus, and they look around the world and they go, things are so bad here, this is a sinking ship, I'm going to go off and isolate, okay? So you have the Desert Fathers in the 2nd and 3rd centuries. Uh, you had in the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, you had Martin Luther and John Calvin saying, hey, we want to reform the church, but it was still a state church, right? So Germany became Lutheran, uh, Scotland became Presbyterian. In the midst of all that, you had the forebearers of the Amish, which is Menno Simons, and they said, hey, you guys are all compromisers. We're going to withdraw from society, and the church is going to be an alternative community, an alternative way of living, And so what happened with the Amish is they fixated around things from the 1700s and 1800s, like, you know, clothes that they wear and the horse and baggage. They focused on those things that are not taught in Scripture and isolated around that. Here's where they're right, though. In the Bible, the early church, they thought of themselves as in the world, but not of it. They thought of themselves as Um, we are a distinct, separate people from the culture around us. We are not defined by race. We are not defined by gender. We are not defined by all those. We're defined by we've been renewed in the image of Jesus and our people come together in a church community where we're disciples of Jesus and we're not like the world. We're still going to love the world and serve the world. But we're not of that world. We're going to have our own culture, our own life, and our own way of existence. That actually is the vision in the New Testament of the
0: church. Mm, I got a long way to get there, but I'm trying. All right. Don't go anywhere. Go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe and like button. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with more with Pastor Bobby and Pastor Anthony. <laughs>
1: I want
4: to I just want, I want to I just want, I
0: want to I just want. Welcome back. Jason Whitlock here, little Tennessee Harmony today with Pastor Anthony Walker and Pastor Bobby Harrington. I want to continue our discussion and focus in a little bit more on Little Nas X. He put out a video called Industry Baby. It's very sexually explicit. It's Little Nas X allegedly in prison. And it, it's, it's, it's what music has become very uh, immoral and illicit. One of the things I found interesting, guys, is that uh, Little Nas X's dad, I think his name's Robert Stafford, is a gospel singer. And his dad, this wasn't in recent months, I think this was back in March, when Little Nas X put out the video of him descending into hell and giving the devil a lap dance. His dad uh, tweeted his son a message of support. And his dad and Little Nas X responded and loved this man. And the, I think the dad said he could barely get through the video, but you keep doing you or whatever. I find this fascinating, given the dad's a gospel singer. And I'm wondering, Anthony, I'll I'll, I'll start with you. What should we make of little Nas X's dad's relationship, public relationship, with his son? Has he done anything inappropriate or should he be in support of his son, no matter what he does?
4: When I look at what God does with us, um, Jesus references this. And I think Bobby may have this scripture a little later. But the Bible references how Jesus came with grace and truth. And so if we just focus on grace, if we just gave grace, 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 that can become enabling. If we just focused on truth, 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 okay, that's just harsh with no love or compassion. So we have to balance the two. Um, As a parent, as a father, what I'm doing to raise my kids and how I even teach our congregation, I believe... It's from a godly perspective. God loves us. He loves your soul. And we all are flawed. We all sin. We all do what we know we ought not do. He makes it very plain to us. God does. I don't love all the things that you do because you do things that are against my will and you do things that can lead to destruction. But I love you. So I don't know his father. Uh, I hope that that's the angle that he's trying to take in that. Son, I love you and I want to publicly stand with you just as God stands with us. You know, God is going to be asked about Jason, about me. And God's going to say, hey, I stand with Jason. And others may look at you and say, but he's done this. He's done that. God says he's mine. But at the same time, we all have issues that we have to to deal with that are against God. So that's the thing. And I look at as well with Lil Nas, there's an audience that's listening to him. And so as a minister, I'm trying to reach Lil Nas X. I'm also trying to reach those that may be listening to him again, taking them back to God. Everything that we do and indulge in is not right. But I do love you and I want that to come across.
3: This is uh, uh, what you're bringing up, Jason, is really at the heart of what's going on in our culture today, because you have people who claim to be followers of Jesus, and like they're totally confused. It's not only uh, Lil Nas X father, but the the uh, industry baby that you're talking about. The video that just came yeah. out. This guy that many of us, myself included, we just loved his last album, Kanye West. Yes. Kanye West helped produce that video. Yes. And so you're, sit- I'm sitting there thinking. I mean, and that video is like Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, uh, if if people are watching your show and they haven't seen that video, uh, don't do it around the kids, but you owe it to yourself to go and watch it. And you're just going to walk away feeling like this is Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, and I think that there's an angle where, again, little Nas X, that's what he's trying to do. His Satan shoes that he had several months ago and all this. Here's the thing you've got to be as parents, as uh, church leaders, and just as human beings, we got we to gotta be both grace and truth. And this is a time for truth. This is a time for a guy like Kanye West to say, this is not right. This is destroying people. This, there's eternal ramifications for this. Uh, and for his dad to do the same thing. We always say it this way. Uh, when you're following Jesus, he's both grace and truth, love and holiness, mercy and righteousness. And any time you're not upholding both, you're going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I just want to say, and and we can talk more about this. This is outrageous. This is immoral. Uh, God's judgment is coming on this kind of stuff.
0: One of the things I said earlier this week, though, is I'm talking mostly about myself, but I'm talking about my generation or whatever, we created Little Nas X yeah, yeah. that, you know, it's one of them deals where we go through this, oh, I'm just a little bit pregnant. Now, either you're pregnant or you're not, yeah. you know? And so the music we've been dancing to for years mm-hmm. and celebrating and, and we've mainstreamed it all and, and we looked. oh, well, they're promoting heterosexual promiscuity. Mm-hmm. Right. We're good with that. Well- Obviously, it was going to land here because mm-hmm. little Nas X like, y'all good with this? How come y'all and, not good? And, and
3: that's exactly what he says in his yeah, tweets. Right. He says, hey, you're getting on to me about this homosexual stuff, but you haven't said anything about all this immoral stuff, this Cardi B stuff and all that. You you know, if you're going to be uh, equal opportunity uh, critiquers and he's right. Yeah. <laughs> there, it's uh, according to the Bible, it's all sexual immorality.
0: Listen. Uh, trust me, I know he's right. The only thing that I, the fig leaf I will cover myself with is I've been critical of hip hop music while using while in, listening to it the entire time. Yeah. I've gotten myself in a lot of trouble 20 years ago criticizing hip hop. Look, the biggest controversy I was ever in. And again, this isn't to, to gloss myself, but I, I analogize uh, hip hop music to fast food it's like it's no, it's no good for you but i eat it and 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 i'm not going to be in denial that fast food's no good for me i we need to come up out of denial this hip hop music is no good for us we need to try to wean ourselves off of it i haven't had fast food in about 2 weeks literally i'm just and so but it is to say hip hop i've replaced it with gospel music i, I listen to gospel music yeah. every morning on my drive into work and blah. We have to do you. that because we've tolerated some things that made Little Nas X and Cardi B an inevitability. Uh, and, and I just, the, the point you made about Kanye West, I was blown away. Jesus is King and where Kanye yeah. was going, I was all excited. And then I, I read that he produced this song and I'm like, What's going on? Yeah,
3: yeah. So, so here's the thing about that makes this really difficult. Can I just address something yeah. because, because we're all a little bit hypocrites. Like, let's just get that on the table. Like, I was watching your show yesterday, yeah. And I was saying to myself, Jason, stop using that kind of language. It's, it's kind of like it, it's hurting your test. It's hurting your own yeah, proclamation. Not- like, when you look at me, if you look at my life, there are, there are areas of my life where I'm not living right. But here's the best thing that you've been doing in the show is you've been transparent about your own weaknesses? See, it's not that we have it all right, but it's that we want to live right. It's like, it's not that we say we perfectly follow Jesus, but that's the way we want to go. And there's a difference in Scripture between deliberately continuing in a sinful path and justifying it, which totally is what's going on with Lil Nas X, and Cardi B, and all these. It's like the, the celebration and promotion, there's a difference between that and stumbling and falling, and saying, hey, I don't want I, I to be this kind of guy, but I do stumble and fall. Because at the end of the day, when you're living by both grace and truth, we keep coming back to grace in light of truth, because all of us fall short and need to cling to the mercy of Jesus, even as we say, this is not right, and God's judgment's going to come, we got to help people to move away from that.
0: Bobby, there was a second tweet that you found interesting that you wanted to reference. Yeah, I do. Um, I trust they're going to be putting
3: it up on the screen. It's actually really disturbing. And uh, this is in March, it came out, and uh, somebody talked, it's a video, it was on... uh, Twitter, where um, Little Nas X is at a school uh, singing his song with all these kids, and a parent goes, uh, the system is targeting kids, and uh, it's really disturbing, and he responded, and here's what he said, there's no system involved, I made the decision to create the music video, I'm an adult, I'm not going to spend my entire career trying to cater to your children, that's your job. So let me just say uh, that is hypocrisy in the epitome of saying, I am deliberately going to be sinfully provocative with homosexuality and everything, and uh, it's not my job to care about how kids are influenced
0: by this. That, that, that's... Well, hold on. Hold on for a second. Now, I think we know little Nas X's father is a believer. He's making gospel music. Maybe little Nas X isn't a believer. Maybe he's a Satanist, and he's just representing what what he. Oh believes.
3: no, I, th- I think that that's right. But he's saying that he doesn't have responsibility for kids,
0: and I think for public. If you're figures- a Satanist, and it's do as thou wilt. So <laughs> well, he. D- well- <laughs> <laughs> Am I? Well, maybe he's saying, hey, I want to influence your
3: kids yes. and you need to protect them from me.
0: Right. Anthony, this is my whole point with little Nas X. I keep making. I'm actually glad he's doing this because he's basically saying, hey, I believe in Satan. I'm a Satanist. I'm going to do as I will as I want. And I don't care about any of you all. And now it's right in our face. And I think it's going to provoke a conversation and parents can make decisions. Kids can make decisions. Little Nas X has claimed his team. It's the people that won't claim their team, and, and I actually know Snoop Dogg. Met him when I was out. Of, but, but it's it's Snoop and Kanye to keep their, they 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 flip back and forth, team yeah. to team. Yeah, that's the real danger. Yeah.
4: there's a the industry is is as a whole, and I don't want to just paint the whole music industry, but as a whole, it's about them making money for their art. OK, that's that's what their aim is. When we as society put people up on pedestals, we look to them for our culture, for our influence, et cetera. But the word is, is very clear on the fact God is the one that we're supposed to be looking at. God is supposed to be. So as it relates to my kids and many of the parent friends that I have and their kids, they don't even know who Lil Nas X is. Not that I am keeping them from all music. But as the parent, I can discern, just from his first few songs, yeah, he's not geared towards kids. And therefore, I can't, as a parent, blindly give my kids devices so that they catch the next wave and trend of everybody else because it's a lot harder to put that toothpaste back in the, in the container. So we've got to take the lead. I'm with Bobby in terms of, I think Little Nas knows what he's doing. In ter- he, he understands, you know, He's getting money for this. He's getting calls. His agent is getting filled. Hey, you've got to go to a school to do a pep rally. He understands this is what I'm doing. But then he stands back to say, but hey, I'm not marketing towards. You know what you're doing when you do that. But where we do have to stand up as parents and especially as believers is to guard our kids. It is an assault, a satanic assault on the family, on all of this. He's doing and He doesn't play by Rules, so to speak, he will attack your kids. He will attack your marriage. He will attack society. He will attack what's right We must stand for what's right and guard our family and kids
0: both of you guys only be, both of you guys one thing I'm um, protect shield uh, Basically shield your kids from the world. I know there are people that are watching this and going "Their kids gonna run wild once they yeah, get to college yeah. He'll be out of control. Yeah. What do you say to those
3: kids? <laughs> well, fortunately, I, I have uh, the principles we're talking to you about. I live them out with my kids. In fact, my son and I wrote a book on this topic. Uh, um, anyway, uh, when you and, and we, this is a Bible word I'm going to use. It's a key word. When you disciple your kids, yes. which yes. is helping them or training them to trust and follow Jesus. You're going to disciple them for the world the way it is. See, the Amish, they're withdrawing from that world. The Desert Fathers, they withdrew from that world. What we've got to do is pull back from that world, have our families and church be a counterculture, but we still live in that world for the sake of the people in the world whom God loves. You know, the the key thing is I would love to talk to little Nazax because God loves him and cares about him. Um, and you never want to come across like it's all just God's holiness and people are just terrible. This is a world that God, that Jesus died for. And we want to engage in that world in a loving way, but we have to prepare people in our homes and in the church to live differently. I think if we, if we sat down with uh, little Nas X's father, or Kanye West, who's really kind of created his own church, we're going to find out that they've got really defective churches. That the churches that they're a part of are not really discipling people to be true followers of Jesus. Because in a true church, a biblical church, they're going to be accountable, and they're going to be disciplined for this kind of outrageous behavior.
4: Yes, uh, so it's, it's similar to cooking. At one stage of a child's life, okay, you can't use anything but the microwave because you don't know how to handle the stove or the oven. As they mature, then you're able to let them, hey, you can cook in the oven. As they mature, you can cook on the stove, but be careful with this, that, and the other. So the same thing with my kids. As they grow and mature, yes, right now you have no discernment. You would take whatever anybody gives you. So I can't give you all the music. I can't give it to you. But as I'm teaching you in the word, I'm discipling you how to follow Jesus yeah. as they mature. They will learn. I can listen, but I don't need to listen to that because that's counter. They'll begin to discern as they grow. That's that's my response to those who say, oh, when they get out, I'm not going to keep them. at You can't listen to this forever because at some point they're going to be adults. And hopefully in the transition of my rearing them they will go from listening to my voice as I listen to God to then listening to God's voice for the rest of their life.
0: we got to end on this note, but I I want you guys to, or we may only have time for one, but Bobby, you referenced Sodom and Gomorrah. And there are, me, friends, family, we, we have conversations all the time, like, Man, I, I think we're in Sodom and Gomorrah. I think the united Sodom and Gomorrah is what, we're, what we are right now. I like how you said that we got just a few minutes left, <laughs> but I want to throw this
3: bomb in your lap. <laughs> are, are, we living, are we Sodom and Gomorrah? In some ways that is true, but in other ways it's not true. So it's a longer conversation. Uh, the thing that I want to uh, take you up on, though, is we should be concerned about God's judgment coming on this nation. I think you're right about that. It's not just the homosexuality thing. You're talking about uh, spending and gossip and slander, the breakdown of marriage, the hatred that people are, uh, is being engendered, and all these things. We've just, we're turning our backs on God. And I do think we should be concerned. You cannot build a society on ungodly behavior and uh, expect things to go well long-term
4: we Sodom and Gomorrah, Anthony? Very quick, I would just say not exactly. Sodom and Gomorrah, there were none who were seeking after God. At least here we have some, got a couple of guys here in our churches, we're seeking after it, God. Well,
3: what he's talking about is before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, right. in Genesis 19, Abraham argued with God. Mm-hmm. And Abraham said, look, if you find 50 there, will you not destroy it? God said, okay. If you find 45, will you not destroy it? God said, okay. And he said, "Oh." Lord, if you find 40, God said, okay, if you find 30, if you find 20, and finally he said, if you find 10 godly people, will you not destroy it? And God said, I won't. But then it was destroyed because it was only Lot and his two daughters.
0: That may be me and my Amish wife. A few years now, we'll be the only two. I hope. (laughs) Guys, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Very edifying conversation. That's it, and that's all for us. We'll see you tomorrow. In
3: line, like
1: freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder making all this news for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my sister, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. For oh, freedom, blessed we are living. Get back, we are receiving. All receiving, we want to be free. We want freedom. I just want. I want to be. I just want. I want
2: to be. I just.